I think it's kind of appropriate that on the last day and the last service that we have in the gym before we go back to the sanctuary that we have glitches. That's good. Next week, I don't have to do it on the squeaky stage. Y'all listen. If I walk right here every time, it's like, so don't walk there. I mean, we've got all kinds of fun that we found in the gym. It's been great in here, in the gym. And you know what's awesome? I don't know if many of you know this. The day we moved in to this gym, our church began to grow and it's been growing ever since. And uh, so I, I pray that that continues as we move back into the sanctuary because you'll be inviting people as well to come join us in there. Now, one special note is when this service is over today, the chairs go in stacks of six, so you can start doing that. And then if anybody can help us, we would like to actually move some of the stage components from here into there, and that's a big job. Uh, while we have a few people here, if we can help move some of this stuff today so that as we have this week to get it ready, that would be helpful. So if you can stay and help for just a little bit after the service is over, we'd appreciate that. Next week, uh, we will have our three hours, but it will be different. 8.30 a.m., we invite everybody to be here. We're going to have a breakfast, a church-wide breakfast, and uh, then 9.45, we'll have our Bible study. And then at 11 a.m., as an entire church family, we'll be in the sanctuary for worship. Now, following next week, we'll go back to our schedule. Yes, we will continue to have our 8.30 service. A lot of people have asked that. But just for this next week, March 31st, we'll be celebrating all together. So don't miss that. Amen. All right. On to this. We are finishing up the book of Jonah. And I'm just going to be honest with you. It's a little bit of a difficult book, not in the sense that it's hard to read or hard to understand, but sometimes it's hard to listen to. Because the book of Jonah is actually something that shows a reflection of a man's heart that is a person who is a follower of God. He knows God. He's a prophet of God. But yet he's not doing godly things. And the book was written, sometimes, some will tell you the book was written with the intention of exposing the nationalism and the, the sinful pride that the people of Israel had toward other nations. And so when we see Jonah and his call to go to Tarshish, which, I'm sorry, he went to Tarshish. When he was called to go to Nineveh and he went to Tarshish instead, what Jonah was actually called to do was go to preach God's word to his enemies. And he would rather have died than do that. So he went the opposite direction. And though we may not have that same sense of, you know, I would rather die than go share God's word with someone else. You can't help but look at this book and have to challenge your own heart and say, am I active in actually going out and sharing my faith with other people? And though I may not have the same attitude that Jonah has toward other people, that sometimes maybe my actions reflect that, that I'm not actively trying to share my faith with other people. I'm just kind of worried about myself and in my own world. So in that sense, it's sometimes difficult to, to read what's going on. And we're going to close it up looking at Jonah chapter 4, but I, I want to start by just asking this question, have you, have you ever even tried it God's way? Sometimes that's what I ask people. When they look at the Christian faith and they go, you know, I don't understand why God would ask us to do, and you fill in the blank, called you to do something. Sometimes we have this something inside of us that just wants to challenge what God is telling us to do. Well, why would we do it that way? You know, many of you know, I just got back from a mission trip, couldn't be more proud. We took 10 people from our church up to Nome, Alaska. We served alongside Alaska Missions doing all kinds of things. Um, one of the things that we did was we worked at a concession stand at a basketball tournament that's happening 
um, alongside the Iditarod, and we worked the concession stand to raise money for a women's shelter that's there in that area. And if you're not familiar maybe with that culture or that area, um, with, the, with the native people there in Alaska, a lot of them who are out in those villages and in those communities, many of those villages and communities have abuse rates of 90 and 100% even what's going on. So the ministry that's happening through the women's shelter and the, and the ministry to the kids in those areas is very vital. And one of the things that we did, like you said, we ran a concession stand to raise money for that shelter. And what's funny is you come to a concession stand, and I don't know how many of to run, right? So you show up at this concession stand, and all of us kind of naturally start going, well, why are we doing this? Why would you do it this way? Why would you do that? And then you just start thinking, hold a minute, I'm on a mission trip, and I'm working with people who've been here and done this for years. How about I quit questioning what we're doing, and I just serve like I'm supposed to serve. But we all have something inside of us that wants to go, why are we serving regular fries and curly fries? You know, can we just serve one? Is he, he's not good. In, and, but you realize, no, I'm just, I'm just here to serve. But we do the same thing with God at times. We, we think God's calling me to do something, or he's asking me to do something, or his word's showing me something that I should do, and we go, ah, I don't know, why would I want to do that? And here's, here's what I want us to understand this morning. When God calls us to do something, we actually need to work to be at the place where we've built our trust and our faith in him, that we can take God at his word, that we don't have to have God show us and prove to us over and over and over again the kind of God he is and what he's doing, that we should actually be in a place where we can trust that if God is leading me and telling me to do this, I can trust that that would be best. It's when we get to that place that we begin to understand that following Jesus is the best life that we can have. But there's something inside us that wants to challenge it everywhere along the way. And sometimes it's just pride or other things. But I, I want to just share this with you. Here's a truth to kind of understand as we unpack Jonah chapter 4 today. A hard heart will lead to a hard life. A hard heart will lead to a hard life. Well, Pastor, what do you mean by a hard heart? Well, that hard heart is the one that wants to just challenge God everywhere along the way. The hard heart is the one that says, well, God, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know that that's the best way. I don't, that, that it, we think of a hard heart maybe as being one that says no all the time, but actually that hard heart is the one that has to be convinced and proven and, and taken over and over and over through the same things until you realize that God's way is actually best. Excuse me while I turn off the blinking monitor that's going, hey, these are distracting. All right. So. A hard heart would lead to a hard life, so we want to have a soft heart, one that follows God and trusts that his way is best, and how do we do that? Well, let's look this morning at Jonah chapter 4, and what we're actually going to see here is an example of an incredibly hard heart, and we may look at this example and think, gosh, I'm nowhere like that, but I, I, I want you to just take a moment and challenge yourself to go, well, is there anything in my heart that's kind of like this? So look at what it says. It says in Jonah chapter 3, actually verse 10, the last of that chapter, says that God saw their actions, talking about the people of Nineveh who repented. When Jonah actually finally got there, he preached the message, the people repented. And this is what it says, that God saw their actions, that they turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster that he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Now, you would think that if I'm the prophet that got to go to a place that shared with them God's word and they relented and repented from their, they repented from their sins and God relented from his anger toward them, that I would be happy. But chapter 4 begins this way. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. 
Jonah was displeased because these were his enemies. He was not happy that God had shown them grace and mercy. It says in verse 2 that he prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. That is a sad state to be in right there. That God has shown mercy and grace to someone else, and it's led Jonah to say, I'd rather die than if you've shown grace to that person. That's a harsh thing to look at. We're going to look at something else in a minute that may help us see it in, in a, maybe a more up-to-date way than, than what Jonah. We'll see one that's post-cross. or Well, it's not actually post-cross. It's Jesus talking. Verse 5, Jonah left the city, found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And then Jonah doubles down again. Yes, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. And so the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and you did not grow. It appeared in a night and it perished in a night. 20,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left as well as many animals. And then the book ends. Just right there. The book ends with Jonah hanging outside of town looking, hoping that disaster is going to come on there, angry that God took his plant away, and having this conversation with God that he'd rather die than have these people repent. That's where the book ends. It's kind of a rough place to be. You see, what this, this thing about the plant here is God is trying so hard to get through to Jonah of what's going on in his hardened heart that God gives this physical illustration that exposes Jonah's heart but along the way, in this story, we also see God's heart as well. And in this story, it's, it's meant to hold a mirror up, not only to the nation of Israel, to see their pridefulness and their attitude toward the rest of the nations of the world, but God can use that for all of his followers as well, that we can check our attitude toward other people. Now, again, I kind of hope we're all in this place where you're saying, well, pastor, there's not really a a group of people out there that I'm thinking I would rather just die than see them come to the Lord. But I, I want to I read this parable that, uh, that Jesus teaches. It's in Matthew chapter 20. It's not on the screen if you want to follow along with me. It's Matthew chapter 20 in your Bible. I'll give you a chance to punch it up on your phone or whatever. But this is the parable. And I want you, again, let's look at the heart and the attitude of, of, of what the followers of Christ are having toward those who are not following Christ or those who are not with him. Jesus says this, for the kingdom of God is like a, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he's going to pay him one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went about, about nine in the morning, about three hours later, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. 
He said to them, you also go to my vineyard and work, and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. And about noon and about three, he went out and did the same thing. And then about five, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. Will you also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. They worked one hour, they got one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed, dangerous thing, they assumed that they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work in the burning heat. And he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? Boy, that's a great question. Are you jealous because God's generous? That's what this says. It says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. You see, what Jonah had a problem with was the fact that these people who had repented and God was not going to judge anymore were the same people who had utterly destroyed and harmed greatly the people of Israel. He didn't want to go and talk to his enemy. He didn't want God to show them grace. He didn't want God to show them mercy. And so he even said, God, that's why I went the other way. I knew you were going to do this for these people. And we think, gosh, I would never be that way. But then I love the parable that Jesus teaches, and, and it's kind of like this. It's kind of like this moment of, well, I've been following Jesus my whole life, and now this person gets to come to Jesus after all they've done? You see, it's about attitude of the heart. What do we want for other people? What, do we want what's best? Do we want to share that message of hope? Do we want to see them come to Christ? And, and we need to understand that God's heart, God's heart is for all to know him. God's heart is for all to know him. And his heart is the same towards all people. Though at times, I believe if we're honest with ourselves, ours is not. Our heart towards people can change depending on what they've done to us or depending on what we've been through or depending on what we ate that morning sometimes. Our heart can be different toward people. We're, we're, we're wishy-washy in that. We change. But God's heart. Now, how is that going to happen? The only way that all men are going to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth is if someone goes and tells them. And who's going to go tell them? That's what we're here for. That's our job. We're to go and tell. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this. One of the things that breaks my heart about the, the story of Jonah, other than just his, you know, his attitude, is just, it's sad. And I, I've, I've told my Bible study class on Sunday mornings, you know, it, it's, it's easy to kind of sit and point a finger at Jonah, but I do it very carefully because I just pray, God, please don't show me that that's in my heart somewhere. I hope that's not in my heart somewhere. Um, but one of the things that really breaks my heart about this is that I believe from the bottom of my heart that true life in Christ, that if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you profess to be a believer in Christ, that when you begin to actually experience that full life is as you begin to share it with other people. That's where it all comes together. 
You see, you've heard me say this a few times lately, but I'm going to continue to say it because I believe it's so rampant. Somehow we've created this culture, maybe it's an Americanized thing, I don't know, where we believe that when we give our heart to Christ, then if we go to church and go to a bunch of Bible studies and stop doing bad things, that somehow that that's what it is to be a Christian. But let me just tell you and hear me very clearly, the point of being a follower of Jesus Christ is you now have the privilege and responsibility to go to share that with as many people as you can. And all the other things that happen come in line and in focus as you do that. Without that in your life, the other things are just morality. It's just being a better person. It's just being good. But everything that draws it all together is that we have a message of hope and peace and love that we get to share. We get to be a light in a dark world to people. And Jonah knew that. And he actually said, God, that's why I didn't want to go because I didn't want them to have that. And here's what we need to challenge ourselves with. Though we may not have the attitude of Jonah, sometimes we inadvertently have the actions of Jonah. Sometimes we get so focused on our own schedule, or our own preferences, or our own comfort, that we don't want to be inconvenienced to go out of our way to share the message of love and hope with someone else. And then we miss in all of this stuff. If you want to experience life at its fullest, life that God wants you to experience it, the first thing that you need to do, I don't care if you're a biblical God has done in your life. Then you'll see all these things come to fruition in your life. They'll come together. They'll make sense. You can spend the rest of your life gaining knowledge about Christ, connecting with relationships with people, and never have the fullness that you'll ever have is when you're starting to share your faith with someone else. It's exciting that our sanctuary is opening next week, it's going to be more exciting when you're here with someone who's never been at church before. And I guarantee you're going to care more about what they're thinking and feeling like than you are about any color of anything in there or what's going on or whether the monitors work or not and stuff like that because that's where the fullness of life comes. And when you see people start coming to the Lord or start their life starts changing because you've taken the time to reach out to them, woo, that'll change everything. That puts it all in perspective. And that's what's sad, is that Jonah just said, nope, I don't even want to be a part of that. So to, to do this, we need to understand that here's the thing that's happening as well. The hope that we should have, there's, such, there's so many facets to this story. So here's this horrible nation, ungodly nation that God had used to judge his own people. They'd done horrible things, and then yet now they repent. And God relents from sending disaster. The other message that that should give us is there is nothing that we have done or that others have done that can drive them far enough away that the love of God can't reach them. There is hope for everyone on this planet. And that should be very, very encouraging to us. Because let's be honest, guys, when, when I, can, I can look at my own story, I can read my own book and go back and say, I've done, I've done bad things, I've sinned, I've hurt people. I've hurt people with my words. I've hurt people with my actions. I've hurt people with looks. How about that? I mean, I, I got all of it. So I, I've, I've done things I'm not proud of. And it's not that when I became a Christian, then those things went away. I've done those since I've been a Christian. And so this journey of walking with Christ, it's simply this. It means that when I've chosen to follow Christ, what it means is as he shows me something in his word or as he teaches me in something, I have a choice. Am I going to repent and I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do those things anymore. I'm going to lay those down, and I'm going to choose to walk in life with him. 
or am I going to choose to double down like Jonah and go, no, I'm so angry, I just want to die. I'm just going to keep doing it this way. I'm just going to hold on to this because, God, I just think I have a right to do any way, any way and anything that I want to do. True life comes when we choose to lay those things down. There's so many people that I see walking in this world that have settled for good enough. I believe from the bottom of my heart, I'm a good old Southern Baptist, if you have had a sincere if you've had a sincere moment where you have given your heart and your life to Christ, I believe in once saved, always saved. Because there are two people in this transaction. You can let go all you want, but when God's hand is holding on to you, it ain't letting go. And if you've given your life to Christ, he is holding on to you. But what I believe people miss out on is the life that he wants you to have in him on this planet. Yeah, heaven's coming. Yes, perfection is coming. But so many people settle by saying, well, I've got my salvation secure, but I'm just going to just be comfortable. In this life, I'm just going to navigate whatever. And you have stuff that maybe God has seen you through, and we could all stand up and testify. I'm so glad that God's seen me through this. And instead of working to pursue God, we work to never let that happen again. And that's a different thing. You, I, I love this time of year with the basketball tournaments. I was a basketball player in high school, wanted to play in college, wasn't good enough, just thought I'd tell you. All right. Matter of fact, I played at the, at the tournament up in Alaska. That's why I'm limping now. That'll tell you a clue about how this is. All right. But here's what I love. I, I, I know basketball well enough. I can see the flow of the game. And you can watch these teams that get a lead and then stop playing. You ever seen it? They start playing to try to protect something instead of playing to win the game. And anytime they start playing to protect something, they lose most of the time. It's incredible to watch that flow. And you know, some of us live our Christian life that way. We live our life in such a way that God saved us from something and we're kind of in this comfortable place and now we're living life to just not lose this anymore, not mess this up. But God has so much more if you'll continue to play to win, if you'll continue to pursue him, if you'll continue to follow him, if you'll continue to do things and not be like a Jonah who says, nope, I'm out on that one. Could you imagine the joy that Jonah could have had had he allowed his heart to be changed toward these people and he allowed to be the one that went in and brought this repentance, had he allowed to be the one to come in? But no, he didn't want any part of it. And so he missed out on what God wanted him to do. Don't miss out on the fullness of life by settling for less. And so we have the opportunity. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the bad thing about this monitor being gone is my clock's gone. So we might be here till 2 in the afternoon. So there you go. I'm going to take, look, I'm gonna take my watch off even. I don't even care anymore. So there. All right. So, here's the message that we have, is that why we have the opportunity to go share this is because God's message is powerful. And this is what Jonah knew. He knew some things about God that we can know as well. And the more that we know them about what God has done in our lives, then the better we are at sharing them with other people. Here's the things that Jonah knew about God. He knew that God is gracious. He said that God is gracious. What does he mean by gracious? That means that God has given us things that are free and undeserved. We have the unearned help of God that comes into our life. It's by his grace that we have anything. Because what we have earned and deserved always falls short of what God has. What we deserve is death and punishment and separation from God. But it's by his grace that we are saved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says it this way, 
For you are saved by grace through faith, and it's not from yourself, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. So Jonah knew that if I go tell those people, it doesn't matter all the things that they've done because God's grace is big enough to cover all the things that they've done, and God can do something in their lives, and that should actually give us the hope and the power to go out, and I can share with that person, and I can talk with that person, and I can tell them with full confidence that it doesn't matter what you've done in life, to this point, that God's grace can cover that, and you can have life in Christ if you will choose to follow him. Why wouldn't we want to share that with everyone that we could? The next thing that Jonah knew about God is that God is compassionate. Now, I'm going to tell you something about your pastor. I am not, naturally. And it is only by the grace of God in saving me that God has grown me a heart of compassion, you know, the people who know me and work with me sometime call me the analytical robot who has no, you know, I tell people, don't hurt my feeling. I only have one. I protect it very well, you know, sometimes. And so it's kind of a joke on this, but I say that for a reason. God, when, when I hear that God is compassionate, I really wanted to study and understand what does that mean? Well, it's this genuine concern for the suffering of others. When God sees the difficulty and the strain that's happening in others' lives, he has a genuine concern. You know, there was a point in time when I was called to ministry, and I knew I was going into youth ministry at the time, and I also knew that youth ministry didn't pay anything. Amen, Kevin? All right, there we go. And so I knew I'd probably have to have a, another job to supplement that. And at the time, I was a psychology major, and I thought, I'll be a counselor. So I'll be a minister and a marriage and family counselor. And God showed me that my form of counseling wasn't going to be helpful because I would just look at people and go, Stop. You're being stupid. Don't do that anymore. And that's how I wanted to counsel. And so that's how I discovered that my heart of compassion maybe, maybe wasn't the best. But God has compassion. He has great concern for the suffering of others. Where sometimes I do, and I know some of you do as well, we like to sit back and tell them the five reasons why they got in that place in the first place. And you really shouldn't have done that. And we kind of done this to yourself, and I don't know why you can. God has compassion and concern for the suffering of others. This verse is all over scripture. I just happened to pick it out of Psalms 103.8. It says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. That's what Jonah knew about God. He's compassionate. That while Jonah looked at the people who had hurt him and what Jonah wanted was nothing but pain and suffering for them, that God looked at the people who had hurt Jonah and he said, I'm gonna do the same thing for them that I've done for you because their need and your need was the same. And so I'm compassionate and I'm sad that they're hurting. Let me just say it this way. If you believe that there's a God in heaven that's up there waiting to just punish you and slap your hand when you've done things, you, you don't understand who God is. God's compassionate. He hurts when you hurt. He feels it. He knows what you're going through. And that's a message of hope that people need to hear today. Another thing that Jonah knew is that God is patient. God is patient. You know, I've, I've had some questions come up along the way as we're reading the Bible through, and we invite you to read the Bible through with us this year. You can start right where we are, and, you know, reading the Bible through in a year, you can just end at this time next year. You can still do that. Um, you know, when you read some of the Old Testament things, I've had some people go, man, why would God do this? Why would God do that? And I said, you know, one of the things that's helped me kind of comprehend some of these things is we look at things on a timeline and on a scale, but for God, time Time really doesn't mean anything. God's got all the time and more than the world because he created it. And I said, so sometimes when we read these things and we see it in a generation even or we see it over a period of time, 
we go, man, how, why is this working this way? But you got to understand that when we talk about God being patient, he's got time. He's got generational time. He's got decade time. He's got century time. And it's God's patience that brings salvation. That's what we know. Second Peter 3.15 says, Also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given him. What is, what's Peter saying there? Well, the church was under persecution. There were difficult things happening in the world. There were people who were following Christ. There were people who were persecuting Christians. There were people who didn't want anything to do with God. Does that sound anything familiar? Kind of sounds like mm, today. And what Peter says is, here's what you need to understand. As you follow Christ and you deal with living as a Christian in a broken world, you need to understand that there's going to be some times that things are difficult. And you just need to understand that though we want God to come back and just fix it all right now, that God's patience in not doing so means salvation for those who don't know him because God's heart is for all to know him and follow him. And how are they going to do that? We're going to tell them. That's how we do that. So God is patient. The other thing Jonah knew is he said that God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, he says, He will strengthen you to the end, listen to these words, so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. When I read that, I go, hold on a minute. So that you will be blameless? I told you earlier, I know my book. I've read it. I have no business being blameless in front of the Lord. How in the world can I live this life and then somehow say that I am blameless before God? There's one way and one way only. It's the grace, compassion, and faithfulness of our Lord who sent his son Jesus Christ so that the sacrifice that he made on the cross could cover my sinfulness. And it's only through that that I can be blameless in front of God. And my faith is in that. And I know that God is true to his word. And when that day comes that I have to stand before him, that somehow he's going to see me as blameless because of what his son has done for me because God is faithful. And God can do the same thing for you. And God can do the same thing for anybody on this world who will turn their heart toward him because God is faithful. And then the last thing that Jonah said is God is also relenting. God is relenting. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 through 10 for we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident. And we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, that day's coming. And if you're approaching that day thinking that God is just waiting up there to give you what you deserve, you don't understand what this word tells us is that God is relenting. If you're thinking that the things that are, listen to me very closely on this. If you're thinking that the things that you're having to endure in this life that you're suffering with are because somehow God's judging you on this, you haven't read this word. Our God is a compassionate God. He's slow to anger and he's relenting. He wants nothing more for you than to experience life to its full. And don't settle for just life that it's most comfortable. Settle and continue to pursue what he has for you and understand that he is a relenting God. And though as a follower of him, we're still going to make mistakes along the way, we can repent every day and say, God, I'm sorry I tried it my way yesterday. We're going to do it your way today. 
and that God's desire is to not bring that judgment and not bring that punishment. This is why he gave us Jesus. But he wants you to know him and to follow him and experience life at its fullness. And that day when we stand at the judgment seat and we're repaid for what has been done in this body, as I've already said, it's the blood of Jesus that's going to pay the price for each and every one of us. So I just close it all up with this, guys. True life comes in following Jesus. True life comes in following Jesus. I don't mean true life comes in just giving your life to him, which I do pray that you've done. I'm meaning that true life can happen today, and you can experience it now. And then heaven can just be a next step. But the way that happens is that you make the decision to follow Jesus in whatever he's leading you to do.